I've been spending my evening hours programming. I'm working on the Mushroom Boy currently. I worked out the problem that I was having associated with core graphics. I'm now programming through Metal. But what I'm doing currently is actually doing a lot of debugging with the Mushroom Boy and just getting really frustrated with certain aspects of the construction of the environment. What I needed to do with implementing Metal was I had to create my own graphics engine to do all the low-level graphics with the view that I could then use this on Windows or other platforms as well. I didn't want Metal to be all-encompassing. I wanted it to be something that would enable you know, multi-platform development so people could pick this up on Windows and Linux. But within that series of constraints, I just made a couple of really basic coding errors. And one of my frustrations is because I'm working on this late at night, I'm just working on the amount of energy that I have. And the same is true of Planet Noblate. Actually, I was working on it earlier this year through the electrical work, and I made a couple of basic mistakes which just sent me back, you know, a month or two. I'm just wondering if my mind is better suited at redefining how I engage with this problem space, that I take two bigger steps in different directions. And, you know, I'm trying desperately to get something which is moving in, in a more productive area. Having introduced the Noble Apes, having built it on the Noble Ape engine, having then introduced the cityscape over the top of that, and then breaking away various bits and pieces. One of the sub-projects I wanted to work on was the reintroduction of the Theosphere lines, but I'm also interested, and this is the Noble Ape simulation versus the Mushroom Boy, I'm also interested in the notion of ghosts and the kind of paranormal in the Noble Ape simulation, in some regard, perhaps greatly satirising, not necessarily the lack of biological interest, but just taking a step back from a lot of this heady, you know, social biology stuff and just thinking about a lot of the medieval writing and reading and stuff that I'm getting into, which is in parallel. I've given a strong narrative associated with my reading of Second World War, you know, stuff. But actually, I'm also reading quite a bit of late Dark Ages here. I'm talking about the 1800s through to about the 1200s. And this is a very different time and a very different reality for many of the, you know, young up-and-coming folk in this society. I think ultimately this is really like a feudal noble ape period and the, the role that spirituality played in the UK, you know, the broader United Kingdom, but really you know, Wessex and these areas, the, the south of England... There was a huge spiritual movement related to what would be considered currently very orthodox Christian methods, but also, you know, you had the Norse folk as well, who had a competing religious view. But still, both of these religions had a very well-defined view of spirituality and ritual and all this kind of stuff. The noble apes never really been good at, at spirituality and ritual. I mean, there's been the notion of ancestral apes that are maintained through narrative and that's a very nice idea but what i'm talking about here is actual not necessarily communicative ghosts but spirits that exist and move around in a very meaningful tangible sense and seeing what that does to a society not because these things exist in the actual world but if you can create these things so that they can be non-interactive characters so to speak mythological entities but agreed upon entities in a society what does that actually do to the society so this aspect of noble ape is providing some interesting byproducts but i want to get through a few basic things like the noble apes avoiding walls and fences in the mushroom boy this is something that has been there are various bugs that I'm working through associated with hard surfaces in the mushroom boy. So that's where I am currently adding 
debugging tools in the much mm, reduced, for want of a better term, graphics thing. And in this parallel to this dreaming about what will happen when one adds a, a spiritual element to Noble Ape, maybe this is just some form of midlife crisis for simulation. Who knows? But yeah, I think, you know, I've got this powerful, rich simulation environment. It's like, you know, I've got oodles and oodles of potential audio time. Why fill it with podcasts when I could be listening to the Nuremberg Trials or tales of, you know, Dark Age princes and kings? I mean, that seems to me to be a, a far better use of my time. My current perspective is very much associated with utilizing time as a luxurious thing. I'm wondering if this has something to do also with the long-standing narrative in my podcasts associated with low-light depression and whether this is just a representational fact that I don't have a garden, I don't have things. Well, I have a winter garden, but it's not really the same thing. I don't have things externally keeping me interested. So I'm diving into these curious little things that can keep me interested and try to remind me that, you know, eventually the sun will come up properly again and I'll move through these various ideas. So... Noble Ape with Spirits. Well, I'm going to introduce the Theosphere Lines first, and then we'll see what Noble Ghosts look like. I've also thought about recording another podcast. Now, I had talked about recording a podcast associated with finding the others, finding like-minded, and I wrote and recorded. Well, I didn't really write. I recorded three podcasts, a pilot and two additional episodes, to see what that would sound like. And it didn't really sound like anything that I wanted to continue with. In parallel to this, I've been going through working out, for want of a better term, what I'm doing with this miniature painting, miniature collation hobby thing, which I'm trying to shut down in some regard, but actually I've got a lot of enjoyment out of. There's a theme here associated with hedonistic enjoyment. So what I've thought about is the problems I see with role-playing games and miniature war games is not associated with the quality of the figures or really even the companies that produce this stuff. It's associated with the rule sets. I think the rule sets are overly complicated. I think they're difficult to learn and even more difficult to master. But it's intentionally done that way. It's done for a very particular mental proclivity, which is the role-playing gamer, the war gamer, the person who is looking to get something complicated and then win against it through any means necessary. I actually am considerably more interested in simple rules, simple role-playing game rules, simple war game rules, Simple rules with regards to Noble Ape, all these things, simple rules. And what fascinates me is the ability for individuals to create their own rule sets, which ultimately is a simulation idea, but in the case of role-playing games and war games is really very revolutionary because it disempowers a large portion of the financials and all the, you know, just the, the mindset of the, the winner, you know, people playing these games to win. Well, if you have everyone inventing their own rules, loosely coming together in agreement, if the rules can exist on a single sheet of paper, you actually have a very different experience. And I think this is something that I want to put out in podcast form. I'm working through how it would actually look, what it would sound like, what, what the takeaway from this thing is. Because ultimately, if I stick with six-sided dice, and that allows for a lot more to be done if I stick with six-sided dice, then... I'm in a very different space than if I was using, say, 20-sided dice or 10-sided dice. And the mathematics within six-sided dice, you really only takes a couple of sheets of paper to write out the various bits of mathematics. And 
then it takes a mind to pick up that mathematics. That's the difficulty. I've been writing simulation and programming and doing all these things with numbers for such a long period of time that probability and all the background baggage that comes with this stuff is kind of second nature to me. And the real test through this podcast is, will the mathematics be too overwhelming for a general audience? And what I'm trying to do is actually get the mathematics in a stage where they're like building blocks rather than like actual probability things. You're not dealing with probabilities. You're dealing with named conventions which can be put together. So the background for doing, it's going to be called My Rules Are Better. I think that's the domain name that I registered. I'm pretty sure that's the main name name. And the idea behind this is to take probabilistic mathematics, convert it into something which through language people can understand, and then enable people to build games based on this language, which might seem very, very abstract, but actually I think should be doable in a reasonable time frame. I'm going to start writing this out and getting it together in the next few weeks. My hope is by the time I go to the UK, which is February, I'll have at least a couple of these episodes out. But a lot of it has come through thinking about what stops people from playing these games. Cost, obviously, but also the difficulty of the rules and how you can frame it in such a way that more people can start playing these games and understand the benefit of the games, where it's not kind of tricksterism, it's just... Use of statistics, probability, logic to a certain extent, strategy clearly, in creating environments where people can come together. And I think ultimately what I've done here is I've reframed Finding Like-Minded. I've reframed the idea of vast possible group of people coming together and working on things to a smaller group of potentially insightful folk that are interested in role-playing and wargaming coming together. Now, Historically, when I've been involved with these kind of podcasts, these kind of ventures, it's never ended well. So I am wondering if I can find these people through doing this thing or whether they just, the audience doesn't exist, so to speak. Now, many years ago, I worked with a fellow who created a set of rules called Alien Star, and I hosted the Alien Star rules for about six or seven years. And these were free wargame rules that covered a wide variety of periods medieval, ancients, Second World War, Napoleonics, all kinds of skirmishes and, and full battles, all kinds of different periods, all kinds of different rules. And this fellow was really a champion of free rules, but they were his free rules. They weren't the notion that people individually can come together in small groups and create their own rules and agree to play these rules, which I think is what I'm advocating for. So watch this space for that project.